Hello and welcome to the Top Shelf Hockey Podcast, where we talk hockey, mostly Islanders hockey. I am David Tuckman, joined as normal by Phil Farber and BG Goloff. Hello, gentlemen. How are you today? Pretty good. Doing good. Yeah? Okay, well, uh, much of our fan base is not doing pretty good or pretty well. Free agency is uh, mostly over, it appears. And it seems like the Islanders have mostly, well, Lou Lamorello has mostly watched this. And while our fan base was all about Team Lou and Team Barry Trotz uh, just, say, 15 months ago, nowadays they are ready with their pitchforks uh, going to Lou's house. Uh, Phil, which side of the fence are you on? Are you getting your pitchfork? Are you, are you marching to, to get Lou's head? I don't have my pitchfork out yet, but I will say that that a lot of the frustration is justified based on the expectation that Lou set. Right, Lou at the trade deadline last year, he was he was pretty critical of the forward group. He said that the way he was going to improve the team was to make hockey trades. He did the Romanov trade on draft night, which, whether you believe they paid too much for the player, it still solves an immediate issue, which is that they needed blue line help and they got in the form of, of someone who was a young player and someone who can grow with this core over the next half decade or so. Uh, and everyone was expecting based on the commentary that he gave at the trade deadline, that they were going to make a move for a forward and that move never materialized. And his excuse basically was, well, the prices that we would have had to pay would have subtracted from another key area of the team. And being that I'm a goal differential guy, nothing that presented itself made sense. So I think the, the frustration is warranted just on the basis of the expectations that Lou set. But as the team is currently constructed, I still think they're a solid team. I still think they're a playoff team, and, and, and we could get into that a little bit more later. We, we will. We will. You know we're going to bring that up. But um, so before I, before I turn to BD, I want to just kind of follow up on that. So – are we happy that Lou did not overpay, but frustrated because he is the one who had, who misread the market? I mean, he went into the market thinking, I need to make hockey trades, but had no idea what that market was, misread it, realized the prices were much too high. You know, basically, he went to the candy store and he didn't bring enough money in his wallet. I mean, or just didn't like the prices that they were charging for candy. Yeah, I mean, listen, the... You know, everyone got caught up, in, including us, in, in the, the cadre hysteria, not, not understanding that the price to move a guy like Josh Bailey right now is exorbitant, probably north of a first-round pick, which is what Calgary gave up to get rid of one year of Sean Monaghan. So doing that and then committing seven years at $7 million to a player, although Kadri's a great player, um, but from a contract standpoint, it's not a smart contract. I think more people are just upset about something that ultimately probably would not have benefited the team, certainly on the long term, just because the media was kind of feeding it to you as if it was something that was already done, something that's going to happen. And then it's as if it got pulled away. I think there were a couple of UFAs and, you know, we, we talked about Ilya Mikheyev as someone who I think came in at a spot where you wouldn't have needed to clear much cap space at all. It could have been as simple as going with uh, a 22 man roster to make a move like that fit. So you know, maybe lose reluctance to to play the UFA market and rely entirely on getting upgrades through trade 
uh, burned him here a little bit. And, um, you know, I think that the frustration on that end is, is certainly warranted. Uh, BD, your take. I mean, I know you're obviously, uh, while, while Phil is sometimes the glass half full guy on this podcast, you are often the glass is half empty. And the glass is broken. That, that kind of thing. Um, look, to me, it's uh, if we go back in the last 15 months, it's it's like the worst fear realized an aging team um, miscalculations last summer. Things uh, compounded. We thought that those things would be solved or at least addressed. I do think that um, the market was really tight. But I think that should have been anticipated. Um, teams have had to pay to move cap for a while now. And, um, you know, and they, the Islanders weren't prepped. They don't have a lot of assets um, to, to really sweeten the pot. And those assets that they do have are kind of key. So I think that. You know, I, I agree with Phil that uh, the free agent market, especially, uh, should have been more active. There, we saw some that you know wasn't in the stratosphere. But the in the end, it's all about moving money. And if you can't move money, it doesn't matter who else was in the market that they would have pinpointed. So that's that's the the great difficulty, and and we're here in that same boat with minor changes. And you hope that, you know, post Barry um, that the team kind of rebounds. And is it a playoff team? It, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get awesome, we will get to the playoff questions <laughs> in, in a while. That's that's a big part of our, our of our, our predictions and where we're talking about and, and thing. But I just wanted to get into, you know, how upset are we at uh, what didn't happen? <laughs> you know, well, it. You and know, is it is it loose is it loose fault is it loose fault that Josh Bailey who was signed by Garth Snow by the way is it loose fault absolutely well absolutely is it loose fault. fault that he couldn't get rid of Josh Bailey is it loose fault no, that he didn't get rid of Josh Bailey during the I mean to me the real fault is going back to the Seattle expansion draft I wrote an article on this I'm not always mm-hmm. right I was right on this one and my article was very simple the pro- the the solution to much of our cap woes and our forward issues are make sure the Seattle Kraken take Josh Bailey in the expansion draft. I don't know what the cost of that would have been. Maybe it would have been prohibitive prohibitive, prohibitive as well, which is why it didn't happen. I don't know. And obviously, we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, it likely would have been, considering that no team made any side deals with Seattle at all. Seattle just went up, made 31 picks, and the night was over. Right. So maybe maybe that is the case. Who, who the heck knows? You know, it's hard to know. You know, maybe Lou did say, hey, listen, leave us Eberle... Uh, take take Bailey and we'll give you a two. Um, and they said, yeah, no, thanks. Could be. Uh, but the, the, the thing about Lou is if you go back to the – he really set up and got locked into a situation because of the mistakes of last summer. And though – you know, we're, well, what we're mistakes here, last summer? That is not much. What mistakes last well, summer? I don't think there are any mistakes last summer. That well, I want to know. Let's hear, let's hear him. What mistakes well, last summer? Well, last summer they let Letty go and did not replace an offensive defenseman. They could have re-signed Letty this summer. They didn't want to. Yeah, but even that, I mean, that's not something. Well, even that, that was a contract that was. But that doesn't have it. carryover effect on the cap situation. No, but look, 
I mean, listen, the mistakes, the mistakes last summer. Hold on, BD. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. No, no, no. Let's, let's, I'm good. BD, I'm going to nail you down this. Hold on. Okay. Last summer, there were obviously some mistakes made. And the Islanders and us fans, we paid for it during the season, right? Couple that with a whole other myriad of issues, you know, COVID, injuries, so forth and so on. But last summer obviously didn't go well. But what did last summer have to do with now? Well, it, I still see there a gap. Um, I think that uh, Romanov is somebody who has potential, but he's not a guaranteed. Um, you know, so you wish this team still him. had Nick Letty? No. It wasn't about keeping Nick Letty. It was about finding an offensive defenseman to offset the loss of zone entries and zone exits that Letty provided. Um, I'm not convinced Romanoff will fill that gap. So I still see, unless, you know, Sallow um, potentially, but I feel like that is still an area that they need help with. Um, this is a, you know, and, and, and that coupled with um, some offensive players rebounding, one hopes that they can offset that, but I still see a gap there. So you're let, so you're, so you're, 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 I wanted to make sure you were clear when you're saying the mistake last summer, it's not getting rid of Letty. It was just not replacing Letty, which they could have obviously not, done, which obviously they could have done this summer, but this is proving difficult. Well, yeah. Well, it was that. And also signing Chara and then using and not using him as like a depth defenseman. But uh, utilizing no, no, uh, clearly, the, clearly. But then we're talking about what I mean, what what mistakes all year. We know that. No, no, BD, BD, come on, you're 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 messing. What mistakes from last summer affect us today? That's the question. Well, to me, that mistake from the offensive not replacing the zone exit zone zone entries last summer still to me have not been addressed. I think there's question marks. Okay. So that to me. It is the the biggest gap besides not providing. Well, actually, this is secondary. We saw that Barzal lacks a linemate to work with him, and we still have that gap. You got to hope that Wallstrom can can fill it. But okay, but these aren't necessarily mistakes from last summer. These are mistakes that could have theoretically been uh, rectified this summer. Also, it's just a matter of it's not like it's not like it's not like Lou did something last summer. That set us up for failure going into this season. No, but we saw the effects last year, and then we did not see that addressed in a cohesive way this summer. Well, so I, I mean, the I, same I, issues I, and concerns that I had last summer, I still have now. That's, that's what I'm trying okay. To say. Phil, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with that partially because I think I think we were all in agreement that the biggest issue that the team had last year was the defense. All the problems stemmed from the defense. They scored more goals per game last year than they did the year before when they were a pretty good playoff team. The issue is they didn't have any sustained zone time and they were giving up way too many chances, way too many shots and ultimately way too many goals than an Islander team should because they were not able to get out of their own end. And I think Romanov being a good skater, being someone who, you know, improved defense in his defensive game toward the end of the year, playing a top minute role in Montreal I don't think they need him to be excellent out of the gate. The way I view that pair is they need him to be the Ryan Lindgren 
to Noah Dobson as in light Adam Fox. <coughs> that is what they need that pair to be. When I, when I envision what that pair is going to be, you're going to have Dobson bringing a lot of offense and you're going to have Romanov as his steady defensive partner who's going to make it easier on him to exit the zone, enter the attacking zone, and create sustained pressure so that the forwards can have more opportunities to generate chances and ultimately score goals. And having that as your second pair, if it works out, makes a very formidable top four for the Islanders, at which point where if your three LD, whether it be Salah, whether it be Chalosky, whether it be even Aho, who you know, who knows, maybe, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. If they are just average, that's a very good six man defensive unit. Uh, interestingly enough, let's, let's talk about the free agency and the misses. Um, you know, obviously I, I think that Lou probably, and, and this is the frustrating thing, obviously is we'll never know, right? We're not going to know that what, what Lou tried to do. Um, but Assuming he could not get rid of Bailey, because based on the price of Sean Monahan, one year at six point seven five million costs the uh, Calgary Flames a first round pick. You have to imagine that two years of Josh Bailey at five million were going to be probably a one and a three, maybe a one and a two, maybe a one and a prospect. We don't know exactly, but something that was fairly uh, expensive, and and clearly Lou was not ready to pay that price. Knowing we could not clear clear that, let's look a look at some of the free agencies and where the misses were. Um, Johnny Gaudreau, Kadri, anybody that that price was just not possible unless we got rid of Bailey, right, Phil? Bailey, Bovillier, well, for Gaudreau, it would have to be like Bailey and Bovillier, move Varlamov. The, the only thing I'll say is moving Varlamov with the intent of using that cap space to, to fill with a long-term contract, you just run into a, another dangerous issue next summer where every team now knows that you're up against the wall because you essentially used the money that you needed to allocate for the Barzell and Wallstrom raises already on something else. And now you find yourself in another situation where you need to clear cap and how much people think, oh, it's so much easier because it's only one year of Bailey versus two years of Bailey. But when teams know that you need to free up this money in order to re-sign Barzell and Wallstrom, how much harder does that make it? So I was, I was never really a fan of moving Varlama for the sake of just opening up a bit of cap space in order to sign Kadri, because then you are going to be tying yourself over for the next year. But, you know, yeah, if, if you're talking about Goudreau, I think it was as simple as, well, he didn't want to come to the Islanders. He didn't want to come to the Devils. He chose to go to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, and that's the decision that he ultimately made. I don't think throwing 10 and a half million at him versus 9.8 in Columbus was what's making the difference here, especially when the Devils were rumored to have been offering north of 10. And that's right up the turnpike from where he grew up. Uh, so let's turn it to, to Cadre as well. I mean, um, I always kind of talk about the wonderful thing about signing a free agent, BD, is that you get him for nothing in theory. But in the cap world where you sometimes have to jettison a contract, suddenly it's not. Suddenly it's a trade, basically. So that's the yeah. whole question yeah. is do you want to yeah, use I mean, your... listen, the, the Flames traded a first in Monaghan for Cadre. That, that 100%. That's, that was the trade. Anybody wants to look at it and go, okay, is it a good trade? Maybe. Maybe it was a great trade. I don't know. Um, the question is now, would you trade a one and a two? Let's say that's the price to get rid of Bailey. Would you trade a one, a two, and Bailey for seven years at seven million of Kadri? Um, no. You know, then it suddenly becomes, that's wow, that becomes really expensive. So that, that, that's 
that's the great thing about signing free agents. And unfortunately, you know, when you have a Bailey, it's tough. So let's assume we couldn't get Kadri because we can't do that and we couldn't get Johnny. Let's talk about some of the other free agents. I mean, you've got David Perron. I assume he wanted Detroit because yeah, from he's... What it, from what was reported, I can't remember where it was, but he wanted to stay in the Midwest. That he makes does. sense. Um, he lives in um, uh, Missouri in a particular area, so Detroit is not that far from where he's he's not changing homes. That's the, yeah. what was always told to me because I had always brought up to others uh, Perron because he was the type of player, a shot generator that you could run on Barzal. Yeah. line but the problem was i kept on being told he's not going to come come east i mean and he and came and he, and he signed listen, behold, what a great sign in two seconds that was already done that was yeah done. that was, was done right he, he clearly wanted that and, and obviously stevie wise such a smart guy he, he decided i'm going to bring in a smart veteran to uh you know to teach these youngsters how to play hockey a little bit and, and that was you know, not only uh not expensive but just two years yeah so. he's a really good player and st louis is gonna miss him I think that's that's also sometimes, I mean, as fans, we see a contract like that and we're like, why didn't we do that? And you realize that wasn't available to us. No, because yeah, I mean, the there priority was home and family. So Right. I, feel yeah, I mean, I, I, if you look on the list, right, like Andrew Kopp. Andrew Kopp, you know, good player, had a great year, got paid off of it. Um, but when they interviewed him, he, he was very clear that the Rangers tried to keep him, but he wanted to go home to Detroit. Right. Even if the Rangers can't keep Andrew Cobb, we're not getting Andrew Cobb. Right. If Closure Rue has his summer home in Ottawa and his wife is from Ottawa, he's going to land in Ottawa, especially after Ottawa made some moves where they're going to be a more competitive team. Right. Especially you look at Claude Guerrero, you got your guys like 34 years old. He's made a ton of money. He goes, OK, you know what? Still got a good contract. Six and a half is a good number. <laughs> no, he got a great contract, but you're going to look at it going, there comes a point, and I think sometimes we dismiss this, for especially for married hockey players, where their significant other has sacrificed year after year after year traveling with them or living in places where they have to go. Maybe the last couple of years of his career, he goes, you know what? I'll do something for you. So let's talk about somebody that maybe could have... on JT. Because that's how whatever is. We'll see where we're going, exactly. But before we get to JT Miller, um, I do want to talk about um, Ilya Mikheyev. Mikheyev, Ilya Mikheyev. So based on all the reports, it looks like uh, everybody was worried that we can't trade Varley because he and Sorokin are best friends. Turns out they're not best friends. Um, They like each other. But it turns out Sorokin's best friend is actually Romanov, which is amazing. Um, So with that, I don't know... The relationship between them and Mikheyev, but another Russian, we could be the Long Island Russians. I mean, call them what you will. That seemed like a, a player that really could have fit in. You, you, you mentioned him. Now, I don't know if it was, I want to go to Vancouver. Um, I don't know if that was the situation, but it seems like with the Islanders having a few Russians under in on their team already and being on the East Coast, maybe this would have been a destination. I also don't know... Phil, you're good at this stuff. Um, four point seven five million is what he signed for. Could the Islanders have matched that? What, what I mean, I they? think he would. I think he probably could have come for cheaper, just because the taxes in New York are lower than British Columbia. So let's say could we afford four point five? Let's, let's just say call it four point five. I mean, yeah. I mean, without moving anyone, you could do that with a twenty-two man roster, right? You don't. There are going to be a number of teams: Edmonton, Toronto. Las Vegas, there are going to be teams this this year that are not going to be operating with a 23-man roster just because they simply can't. But when when I looked at the UFA list going in, and we, we recorded and talked about this, we spoke about the connection 
with the uh, I forget the guy's name. Maybe BD remembers it. We we brought in the scout, the Leafs top Euro scout. Yes, right. BD? And that gentleman was I don't remember he, his name offhand, but he was heavily involved in in the recruitment of Mikheyev and of um, you know a couple of other you know Nikita Zaitsev and a couple of other um, Euro free agents that the Leafs were able to attract. So I was I was connecting all the dots and. You know, and then we brought in Romanov at the draft and I said, okay, you know, we've got a couple of Dan Milstein clients over here and a couple of Russians. And we brought in this guy from the Leafs, pretty obvious targets, Mikheyev. We bring a ton of speed to the lineup, um, you know, from, from a goal scoring standpoint, he started to figure it out last year after he healed up from his wrist injury. He's 27, he'll be 28 in October. And then a four-year deal for a guy who's got that little wear on him. I, I, wasn't well, I mean, you look at it, you go, wow, it expires when he's 31, 32. So yeah. you get you get his prime years. By the way, the scout's name was that is uh, Jim Polifieto. That's the guy. Yeah. Uh, from Toronto. Uh, by the way, uh, counter-argument, just be devil's advocate, and I don't, I don't know this, and I'm just wondering, do you wonder if they brought him in and maybe Jim actually told Lou, you don't want this guy? Anything is possible. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, we assume, I mean, we assume there's a connection. It, he yeah, likes well, him. We, Maybe it was the we opposite. We assume that, that he's capable of more or fits what their framework is. And that might not necessarily be true. That's what I'm saying. Um, I mean, Biddy, is there a chance that he comes in, Lou brings Jim into the office and goes, hey, listen, I'm thinking about this Mikheyev guy. You know him so well. What do you think? Can we put him in the top six? Can I get him on Barzal's wing? I know he's fast. And Jim goes, nah, you know what? He's really a third liner. And Lou goes, well, I don't need to pay a third liner. I, I don't need to pay another third liner, 4.75 then. I mean, it's always possible. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, to me, when I'm watching, when I look through free agency, was I frustrated? Absolutely. But do I want to trade assets and cap room for a player like a Kadri? No, I don't. Um, Mikheyev was the one miss, really, to me. Was there one for you, BD, that you're like, ah, why didn't we get him? Well... Uh, I mean, even though he's injured, uh, was it uh, Max Pacioretty from uh, Pacioretty? Yeah, I think we all thought yeah. that was this. I uh, that would, I mean, even if he's injured and coming back, that was for free for a team that really needed someone like that. But yeah. of course, then you have to make we sure. That by the way, we dodged the bullet on that one though. Achilles heel injury at 35 years old, coming back in February. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's not easy. So no, thanks. yeah, right. Phil in, in hindsight. Yeah. In hindsight, if you had to, cause again, that's another area where you'd need to clear cap space and maybe patch ready is the type of player where you just say, okay, we got patch ready for free. So because of that, I'm fine move. It's, and it's only a one-year contract, right? So again, my, my criteria with Varlamov is if it's a one-year contract and if you're filling up one year, then it doesn't make it hard on you. Okay. So maybe you go and you move Varlamov in order to make room for patch ready, considering they're both expiring, but well, let's be real. Let's be real. That I mean, if if Lou really was okay moving Varley and wanted Pacioretty, I mean, I I have to imagine Vegas already knew that Leonard was probably out for the season. Yeah, I mean, that a, a Varley Pacioretty deal would have made a ton of sense. Would have made a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like Vegas at least is outwardly saying they're going to go with Thompson and Brassois to start the year, which is interesting. Although I, mean, I have a, like I said, I don't know how reliable the source is. Um, for those of you who know me, know that I'm, I'm very big in the poker world and gambling world, and I have a lot of friends in Vegas that are pretty high up. I have a source that is not related at all to the New York Islanders, but is related to the Vegas Golden Knights that says the Vegas Golden Knights are, are at least talking to the Islanders about Varley. 
Yeah, I mean, listen. I know. I, I, I don't know if there's any fire there. I don't know if there's smoke there. It could literally have just been a phone call, and and Luke could have said, "Yeah, go fuck yourself." I have no idea. Um, but it's logical. It's certainly logical that they would, right? I mean, you don't want to project um, fear or panic and say, "Well, oh, we actually have no idea what we're doing about our goaltending situation." Like, no, we have our goaltenders. We have these two guys. This we're comfortable going in, and right. you know, if a general manager, maybe the Sharks want to call us about taking James Reimer. Yeah, we'll listen, but we don't need to do that kind of move. We don't right. need Varlamov. We're fine. And I just want to, I don't want to pretend that I have a source. <laughs> I literally, like I said, I, I know a very prominent poker player who happens to know some people at the Vegas Golden Knights who may or may not have told me they're talking. I'll just leave it at that. I don't know anything else about it, but um, I'll just, I'll, I'll put that there. Um, so for you, you said Pacioretty as well, or is there is there a free agent that you're like, oh, why didn't we get him? Or why didn't we try to get him? For me? No, if you, Bill. Oh, okay. Oh, I already said Mikheyev. You said Mikheyev as well. So Mikheyev, and, and obviously we got Pacioretty. Okay, so let's move on here to uh, to the existing lineup. First of all, before we get to that, do we foresee any more changes, BD, or is this it? I mean, are we, uh, we're at the dance and we're going home with who we got, we brought? I think you'll see a couple of tryout contracts maybe. Um, as You know, you might see somebody like uh, Calvin DeHaan. Um, you Calvin DeHaan, see- you said? Yeah, it's it's almost like you were embarrassed to say it. You put your you put your hand in front of your mouth, and you were like, (laughs) you were like, you were like, uh, maybe maybe nobody will hear me say it. The show, (laughs) but um, and uh, maybe uh, Milano. uh, It's like sort of tryout. BD, you got to move your hand out of your mouth, bud. (laughs) (laughs) we can. I can barely hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, Mm -hmm. Calvin DeHaan is that. Yeah, yeah. Calvin DeHaan is that. Like you know, it's one fifteen in the morning. Um. For those of you in New York, I know the bars close earlier. I'm in LA, so bars closer too. So it's it's one fifteen in the morning. Uh, you look around. There's not much there, and you're like, "Well, I guess Calvin's okay. I'll take him home." Well, Calvin's the kind of guy that can make the first pass. He can move the puck. He's not an offensive force and not filling a gap like I was talking about. But and he's defensively responsible. Um, but. You know, and but the problem is injury, and but it it wouldn't hurt. But I, you know, if they felt that Chowalski is the is the guy that they ended up signing, then you might not see a tryout for a, a defenseman. Yeah, but Dehan, um, Dehan, by off, the way, is thirty one years old now. Uh, he's just thirty one years old. I mean, it's not like he's old. Yeah, Obviously, it's just it's, it feels like he's thirty six. Not but a bad player. He's got a lot of tread on those tires. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, uh, over 500 games played in the NHL at this point, uh, as well. Um, what do you, what do you think, Phil? I mean, any, any, any? I mean, we still have some cap room, even with signing Cholowski. Yeah, we have, we have, we have cap space to get pretty much anyone who's on the market. I, I look at their current cap situation, and right, anyone in has to be someone out. So if you go and you look at 22 men, they've got roughly three and a half million to work with. Right, query as to who would be off the roster, right? All 14 of these forwards were on the team last year. We have zero evidence that they have any desire to waive Ross Johnston, but I agree with BD. I look at their contract situation. They only have 44 contracts. They've typically gone into seasons at around 47 or 48. Lou usually likes to use up those slots. So I'd expect a couple of depth signings at the very least. Not one of their defensemen are over the age of 30. So I, you know, I agree with the sentiment of a Calvin DeHaan where Lou would might he might want to bring in a veteran just to uh, push some of the younger guys in camp. If I look at available forwards and, and knowing that at least through UFA and at least for now, 
there is going to be no upgrade really to the top nine. Um, I look at a guy like Tyler Mott and I just, and I just wonder why not, why not go get a guy? I like that. Why not Mott? Why not Mott? The guy's (laughs) in New York, a prototypical modern NHL fourth line player won't score a lot. I mean, he's fast, right? He's got wheels. He's fast. He'll check your balls off. We already know we have a guy on the left and the right wing who are just really not capable because of age, because of wear, because of injury of playing 82 games a season. Do we really want the fill-in guy on the fourth line to be Ross Johnston all year long? To me, between Mott, between Zach Aston Reese even, I mean, these are guys that are available. That but I mean, Tyler Mott, a million, a million and a half. Tyler Mott makes, is 27 years old. It just makes sense. I mean, he's a year, not a million old. and a half for Tyler Mott. Why not? I mean, listen, he's not not a goal scorer, but I mean, if you look over his last, say, four seasons, right? And and he's only 27, so I think that's probably a a fair sample size because he hasn't played a ton of games. I mean, 34 games, 24 games, 40, 58 games. You know, you're looking at a guy who's probably going to probably put in, say, 10 goals a season. Yeah, I mean, he'll he'll give you what what Martin would have given you in his prime from a production standpoint. He's not he's big. A, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's five foot ten, but like you said, he does. He plays more of a Cal Clutterbuck style. That's for sure. Cal's not big either. What's Cal? Five eleven, if even. Cal's solid though. I mean, Cal is. Uh, he's solid. Yeah, I mean, Mott, Mott, but Mott, Mott's pretty solid too. I, you know, I, I watched a lot of him. When Cal is Cal is six. I mean, according to NHL.com, Cal is six foot, two hundred and twelve pounds. Mott Maybe. is five ten, one ninety. Okay, not a huge size difference. 20 pounds is a, that's a wow. Okay. <laughs> so you said one, 190 versus oh, 190 versus 210 versus 212. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's 20 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fairly significant. I guess, I guess you could say, but I mean, I just think they, they need, they need better. Right, listen, depth listen, give me, give me the bottom of the lineup. Right. Right. They need better depth in the top of the lineup too. And we could talk about that because you know, there might be depth that we're not thinking of over here. Well, let me but, ask you about a player. I want to throw a player at you guys. See, I have. If you're telling me that we have approximately three and a half million dollars to play with, right? To me, there's three moves that I would. There's one of these three moves I would be happy with, and I'd be happy with any one of the three. Number one, I'm very happy if 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 Lou actually in this era, cap space is worth something. We can clearly sell that cap space to another team and either get a prospect for it or get some draft picks for it, and then we can later use those draft picks to get rid of our own bad draft picks our own bad contracts or just draft players and get prospects. Who knows? So, you know, three and a half million based off what Patrick Nemeth cost um, to get rid of for the New York Rangers. I imagine that's probably, we could probably get two second round picks for that, you know, for that much cap space. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the teams where it's relevant and Boston, they could use LTIR to start the season, but at a certain point they are going to likely need to unload salary unless other players get hurt. Uh, But up until recently, they were they were talking a lot about Nick Foligno potentially having to be asset dumped. I mean, what I mean, about it's interesting? Uh, yeah, what about uh, an Edmonton? Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. They don't have they don't necessarily have bad contracts. They're just they're just over the cap. I mean, I looked at it. It looks like they need to move Warren Fogle. Um, but again, taking on a guy who's got two years left, you ideally. You don't want to do that. You no, want to be we an really expiring want, contract. We want an expiring contract that's maybe two and a half, three million dollars, and you get a couple of second yeah. round picks for it. That's that's one thing I would be very happy to do in this era. Yeah. Obviously, I mean it's very clear that getting rid of cap space 
has value. Um, obviously, that's the reason Josh Bailey is still on this team. Uh, number two, I'd be very happy, obviously, if they used that cap space and, and helped out our, our friends from the north in, the, in Toronto and, and got Sandine. I know you'd be happy with that, Phil, right? I think we'd all be happy with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen there. You have a player who it's not about the money. It's about the fact that they have no spot in the lineup. And uh, for a player who's going to be 22 years old this year and is, has started to take off, they, they squeezed him out by deciding to go with Giordano for the next two years. I'd, I'd love for them to uh, help Toronto out with that little problem that they've got. And by the way, I can't blame Toronto. I mean, Giordano is, is quite possibly on the best contract of the entire league. I mean, you're talking about a legit top four, you know, top four defenseman who's really, really good. Pair. Playing third pair at $800,000. Amazing. It's Toronto just got a, an absolute steal there. Um, because he wanted to be there and he wants to get a chance to win in Toronto. But because of that, there's no place for Sandine. As you mentioned, it's not about the money for him. It's about, I want to play. Frankly, he would look really, really nice next to Scott Mayfield next year. He'd look great next to Scott Mayfield, yeah. Um, or, and this is my third one, and I don't know if it's going to happen. It probably, I, I don't think any of these things are going to happen, by the way. But these are my wishes. Would be signing a guy like Evan Rodriguez, um, who's not young, by the way. He's 29 years old. Um, coming off a career year. He had 19 goals and 24 assists last year. But he's the kind of guy that we saw last year. He can play wing for you. He can play center for you in a pitch. He's very versatile. Um, You know, he can play second line. He can play third line. Um, I I really think you can move him up and down the lineup. And I do think that he's an upgrade for us. Um, The issue with that, of course, is who's out. We just signed a bunch of guys. So I don't know. Where does he go? Where does he fit? But I do think he's an upgrade for us. Yeah, he played a lot of uh, second line to start the season when Malkin was out. He was their second line center, and that's pretty much where he had all of his production. And then once Pittsburgh got players back, Malkin, Crosby, et cetera, they, they buried him in the bottom of the lineup on the fourth line, and he wasn't all that productive. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we don't have room in our top six for him. Uh, he plays the right side, and I, I, you, know, you don't want to take away uh, minutes from Wallstrom at this point because he he needs to play. So I just don't know where he'd necessarily fit. Well, when Josh um, Bailey when Josh Bailey gets the uh, Andrew Ladd treatment, games. well, when he gets the Andrew Ladd treatment and he gets sent down to the minors for the rest of his career, you'll need a right wing for the third line, right? Well, I currently, I mean, we could talk about lines. I currently have Josh projected to play on the third line on the left side, though. Okay, well, that would be a change for him. Uh, let's talk about that, BD. What are your um, what are your lineups for? Uh, first of all, do you like any of my moves? Any of those are not bad. Um, <laughs> I actually mi- missed what the name that you said last. The, uh, Evan Rodriguez. Evan Rodriguez. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. I missed that. So I said, yeah, Sandine uh, Rodriguez or, or use the pick and or, get back. I get, use the cap. I would definitely, Sandine is a no-brainer, but the uh, Rodriguez I would need to see a bit more of. And w- you wonder where he would fit in. Um, but, you know, any of those we're just looking for things to kind of shore up or be utilized in case of, and that's what, you know, you hope with a tryout contract, whether it be like Milano or, or someone else, I think it'll be one of those things where they do tryouts and see what, what happens. Can I, can I ask you guys a quick question? Because I know Sonny Milano is like this, like, we talked about this on your um, on your on your kind of your talk. Oh, by the way, everybody who's watching this, uh, make sure you do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tuck on Sports. BD is at BD Galloff. Uh, Phil is at Phils with a Z. Facts. Um, Phil actually hosts a lot of these little meetups. 
And, you know, they'll be impromptu. It might be after a game. It'll be after a signing. But they're pretty cool. So if you follow him, you can join us. Um, and if, you're, uh, if you have something to add, he will make you a uh, speaker occasionally. So we'll do that. Uh, let's talk about Sonny Milano really quick before we get to lines. Sonny Milano is, you know, not particularly young. He's not old. You're talking about a guy who's 26 years old. Um, he has a grand total of 36 goals in 197 games, which is, if you work that out, it's about a 14-goal-per-season pace. Um, when I talk to people in Southern California, as I live here, um, he basically vanished in the second half of the season, doesn't forecheck, doesn't play defense. Um, is the only, the only reason that, that Islanders are, are Islander fans actually want this guy is because he's from Long Island. I mean, I don't see the appeal. Yes. Yeah, I think that's 90% of the reason. Sorry, go ahead. Phil, BD, go. Well, they see, they see the 14 goals from last season. They don't take and and they see that he's from Long Island. Oh, he must want to come here or something like that. Or the, and they also put in the intangibles. Oh, somehow he'll bloom here. Um, I mean, he played a, with he played with he played with Zegris last year. He played I mean, with Zegris. I think I think part of the logic is well, he played with Zegris. The first half of the season, he played well with Zegris. Maybe it could have been as simple as well. If you remember last year, for the first 40, 50 games, the Ducks were firmly in a playoff spot. Right. I mean, they were they were kind of surprising people with their performance early on, and then they just completely cratered um, in the last 30, 35 games. But I think people look at it and say, OK, if you could keep up with Zegris and, you know, make some of those creative plays with him, maybe a guy with speed, you know, a guy who could carry the puck into the zone. Maybe he's someone who, you know, he was a first round pick. He was a fairly high first round pick at 16. Maybe he's someone who you might find catch lightning in a bottle with playing with Matt Barzal. He'd want to be here because he's from Massapequa. Maybe we can do a little bit of CPR and a former first-round pick here who happens to be from the area. I, I, I just, yeah. I just Again, don't, I don't get it because my attitude of going, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks are not a particularly good team. If mm-hmm. he was any good, they would qualify. They literally let him go for free because they don't like him. They don't think he's a very good player. Um, by the way, from February 22nd. What I, read, I think they were, they were worried about a potential $3 million arbitration award. I mean, from February 22nd to the end of the season, which spans more than two months, he had two goals. He had two wow. goals. He, he went a stretch of like – he went a stretch of, of almost like a month and a half where he had like four points. Wow. I mean, literally four points. Um, I mean, the guy, the guy literally has 36 goals in 197 games. Like I said, I mean, the, the scouting report on him when I talk to people, he doesn't forecheck. He doesn't play defense. Um, I, I don't get it. I think a lot of people saw the highlight role, the, the Zegras goal, where Zegras flipped the puck over the net, and it was Milano who batted out of the air, and they go, oh, that's the guy we want. Milano had the that's hard... That's not even his most impressive had, highlight. His, his most yeah, no, impressive that was the easy one. The between the legs against Dallas in his rookie season, I think it was. That is just one of the greatest goals I've ever seen. So Anyway, yeah, I mean, I just... I, I'm like, I don't know. Some people seem to be on Sonny Milano's dick, and I'm just like, okay, good. You, you jump all over it if you want. Uh, anyway, well, let's... I just wanted to put in the, the other thing is if you're going to sign Milano, he's going to be third line. To be honest, he's not a solution in the top two. He can't handle the quality of competition. That's the issue. Because if you look at his career, that's how he disappears. The quality of competition gets higher. He disappears. He can be easily outplayed and shut down. I mean, listen, so, you want to, yeah, you want to put him with Pajot and then move Parisi down to the fourth line. Uh, okay, fine, but I'm just not. I mean, like to me, Milano is is certainly not the answer. Um, anyway, let's move on to lines. BD, what are your um, as quick as we can, so we can kind of jump through this and then get to the mailbag. What are your uh, the lines that you are hoping for and the lines you're expecting they go with? 
I don't know about expectation, but I've been thinking that I would like to see, even though it's going to drive everybody crazy, I'd like to see Bailey with Brock and Anders oh. Lee. I'd like to see uh, Bovillier uh, with Barzell and um, Wallstrom. Okay. And, uh, you know, Palmieri, Pajot, and um, Zach Parisi. And I, I'd really like to see a, a fourth line without Matt Martin. No offense to Matt for over the years. But uh, his play and, you know, the tread is just too much. But, you so know, you want really, there? I'd like to see Keeper Bellows there. Okay. I think Fair that enough. Bellows would really work there. As for expectation, I really don't have an expectation because I don't know how Lambert's going to – you still know that they're going to be defensively responsible, but I really don't know what to expect in terms of lines. Defensive pairing, what do you, what's your hopes for defensive pairing? It's the uh, Pollock Pellick. Um, I like to see Romanoff and uh, Dobson see how that goes, um, and Mayfield and Salo. Mayfield Salo. Okay, so you're. We're. I think we're probably on the same page. We all. We want Salo to win this job. Uh, Phil, same question to you. Yeah, I don't know what to. Again, uh, Beatty makes a great point. We don't know what Lane's thinking, so I don't know what to expect. What I would prefer to start the season with is Parisi, Barzell, Palmieri. I liked how we ended off the season with the Lee Nelson Beauvillier line. I thought that uh, Beauvillier's speed and forecheck and puck retrieval create a lot of opportunities for that line to score. So, what, um, so Nelson Beauvillier and who? And, and, and Lee? And Lee. Okay. Right. So Bo on his weak side, like he played the last 30 games last season. Uh, Bailey on the left of Pajot and Wallstrom. And then I would start with the fourth line. Um, until someone gets hurt. And then the defensive alignment, the same exact thing as BD. Hopefully Salo wins that job. And fourth line, do you want Bellows in there or Martin? Or no, nah, I don't want or, don't or TBD. <laughs> I don't think that I mean, you know, start with Martin if he's healthy, but I, I just I don't think I don't think Bellows plays that role well. Right. Let me let me ask you a question then. If Bellows doesn't fit in the top nine for you, and BD you're saying is a fourth line player. Why? Why did we sign him for one point two million dollars? I mean, why sign a thirteenth or fourteenth forward for that much money? I don't understand. Well, I think they could probably use him. They probably feel that they can use him in the third uh, line slot if there's injury or anything else. That's probably on bottom, you know, or maybe they still see a little bit of possibility of being plugged in somewhere else. But uh, for me, he's he's just. Um, too too slow to keep up with the top two lines despite Listen, the ability to score goals and this and this is why i'm not predicting anything because i think once i saw that bellows came in at 1.2 million he, he's a real true wild card right that that's the money that you pay someone who you plan to play every day i know they have the, the ridiculous ross contract but typically you look at aho he's on 825 if he doesn't play that's fine right the players who sit in the press box usually aren't people you willingly go into sign for 1.2 million which maybe Lane has a different vision for the fourth line, and maybe that includes Parise. Maybe he has a vision for starting Bellows somewhere in the lineup that we're not even thinking of. So I'm, I'm going to hold off on, on making an assumption on what Lane wants to do. Because the other thing is, on the back end of this Bellows contract, to me, this is going to make or break and determine as to whether or not they give him a qualifying offer. Because his QO is now $1.2 million. That, that's a contract. That's a decision that you're going to have to make in the summer as to whether, oh, you know, did he do enough for us to justify this cap hit when we have to do Barzell, when we have to do Wallstrom? And he's going to be arbitration eligible too, so he might even get awarded a bit more than that. 
Well, and and obviously, if he's not getting the time on ice that he wants, similar to Sandine in Toronto, um, he could be uh, he could be one of those players that kind of forces his way out. Yeah, I mean, a little bit different because Sandine has the the real sweat of uh, threat of joining the Swedish league, right? Uh, where he previously played and. Uh, Bellow, where is he going to go? He's going to go to Europe. An American kid <laughs> threatening to go to the KHL? Not likely. Uh, to me, I mean, I'll just throw this out there. I really want to see Bo back with Barzal. Um, I remember Barzal's rookie year and the second half of that season, and that line was the best line on, on the Islanders. Um, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's Barz- Beauvillier's ability to forecheck and retrieve pucks is much better than most people think. He's probably one of the best on the team, certainly top 20% in the league at it. He's actually quite a good forechecker per analytics. And I'd like to see Bo, especially with his speed, with Barzal once again. Um, yeah, I mean, I do want to th- I, I, Bailey on the third line. I mean, I, I want Bailey out of off the team, but, you know, I guess you put him on the third line. But I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that, and uh, we can move on. But um, I... I think Bo is a lot better than people think, despite his uh, his awful season from last year. Um, hey, BD, I know you're uh, you hate prospects and you hate everybody that the uh, Islanders have drafted. <laughs> but uh, any comments on uh, Corey Pronman's latest thing, where uh, Dufour is viewed as a second line player, and and um, Raddy is is uh, you know coming off a, a great World Junior Championship. Well, um, Dufour. Uh, to me, um, is will always be a question mark until he sees a, a consistent higher level competition. I know that uh, there's that the, we talk about these championships as the coaching staff, the Canadian coaching staff thought Dufour was better than Bedard. They put him yeah, on the first who, line. Who would you I'm take? Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm joking. But, um, you know, and it's. I, look, the these players, I, I I hope the world for them, but I I hate that they get hyped up um, on Twitter and then we expect them to go to the next level and to, and those those items translate. So I'm very cautious about that because I've seen so many players and I've seen this train over and over and over again, and I just want to just see them. You know, for DeFore, it's it's really about Bridgeport and it's about consistently and we'll see how he does and how they use him. Um, and then the quality of competition that he sees throughout. Um, I tell you, it has been very interesting. Um, I definitely, you know, there's definitely not a question that he's someone who would definitely be at least a third line. I yeah. definitely see... Um, the question is how he fits um, in terms of once again rounding out the game and how he does. But I, you know, I don't think he's ready for the NHL by any stretch. And I think that it's a question of where he I, falls. Uh, Chris, I just Christmas, not ready to wait. Christmas morning. I mean, like Christmas Eve. BD, did you go to bed and you know every other kid is really excited and you were like, well. Who knows what's going to be under my tree? There could be nothing. Oh, maybe maybe this is the year I get cold. There was the no Christmas tree that in the People Gala think household. that he's untouchable <laughs> is is ludicrous, and no GM would that. Despite the poll, which did fantastic in responses, um, that no GM would. Yeah, would I, I, did put, I, I did. I did put that, that poll out there. I put that, that poll that out was, there. I, that I, was I loved a it. Loaded, 
loaded. Hey, listen, <laughs> I put it out there. I got a th- I got over a thousand responses, and great. the overwhelming response from our fans were people want to keep him. Keep how many keep, angry keep poker him. fans were hitting the button like I don't care. <laughs> no, no, okay, uh, Phil. What do, I know you watched all those games. Um, what did you think about our two biggest prospects? I mean, I thought Ratu was a lot more impressive than Dufour was. Dufour, I mean, his his biggest asset is his shot, which isn't nothing, of course, because he's got a high end NHL shot. Um, Pronman even said so, BD. But yeah, I thought I thought Ratu. He's dominated at every level he's played in the last 12 months, right? In the Finnish league where he's playing with adults, he was a near point per game player. He came right off the boat to Bridgeport, made an immediate impact in the playoffs, helped win a playoff series, had a couple points in the next one in a losing effort, went to the world juniors, was, you know, the Finns top player was one of the top scorers in the tournament and was noticeable pretty much every single game. I think, I think he'll do well in Bridgeport. He's already in a limited sample size done well in Bridgeport. And he makes things interesting because last year when they were reaching for depth, especially in the top six, when, when Nelson missed games to injury, when Barzell missed games to injury, they really didn't have anyone who kind of fit the mold of someone who can be a playmaker and someone who could fill that void. I'm not saying that Ratu's going to do that, but I think that there will be a point this season because of injury where he's going to have an opportunity to potentially put himself on the roster. And hopefully maybe just, maybe he makes things interesting. 20-year-olds don't usually, but... I mean, people uh, forget, listen, Barzal... I'm intrigued. Yeah, and Barzal Barzal came up at 19 years old. I mean, that's their job. Their job, I mean, Ratu's job, Dufour's job, all these prospects, Simon Holmstrom's job, their job is to make Lou's job and Lambert's job very, very difficult. Um, Yeah. And and I'm I'm really excited, actually, to see Simon Holmstrom again in, in Bridgeport this year. He had a great second half. I know we kind of all rode off that first round pick as I guess it's a bust. Forget about it. He had a great second half last year. And I'm intrigued to see how he plays in camp. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how he does in Bridgeport. And does he force his way at, I want to say, 21 years old now. Does he force his, does he make it really difficult for Lou to send him down? It, it'll, be, uh, it'll be intriguing at, at minimum. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think we're, we're all expecting there to be um, no, no surprises you know, in terms of the lineup and, and coming out of camp. But, but every, single, every single year at camp, there's always – you know, this guy's banged up and he's on injured reserve. And all of a sudden you've got two or three players on the roster that you didn't end up expecting being there just because of merely because of injuries. And um, I can't remember who it was last year who going into the season uh, where, where we had, or maybe it was two years ago, we had a couple of players who went on IR and, you know, people got looks. And I think that's ultimately how Wallstrom got in there because Dal Cole was injured and Beauvillier got injured early in the season. So based on how, players do in camp will determine the pecking order as to when they're used in the, in the NHL lineup. And these are players who hopefully stand out and, and prove that they can uh, fill that role and maybe even steal a spot later in the season. I mean, listen, we, we reminded fans 12 months ago that what your team looks like at the beginning of September is not necessarily what your team is going to look like in, in February and March. And I think that's, that holds true today. Um, you know, are, are we happy with this? No, but we've also seen in the past, people always think, oh, well, Lou is loyal to the old guys. I, I, I mean, I, I think that Bailey gets his seven games, but if Bailey plays like he did last year, and hopefully he's better this year, but if he plays like he did last year, it would not surprise me at all if he gets his seven games, he gets up to a thousand. And we've seen Lou have no problem putting a $5 million contract in the minors. 
he'll do that. And um, so I, I, I just, I mean, I, we'll see how it plays out. It, it'll be interesting. Um, let's get to some mailbag, guys. You guys ready for it? Yeah, go ahead. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, who did this? From uh, at Eric's Vogel said, uh, with all the money Phil claims the Isles will have available next year. So, Phil, this is for you. How many UFAs will Lou whiff on? And what will they get in a trade for Barzal? See, people are already, uh, it's doomsday in, in New York. The Islanders are not trading Matt Barzal, at least <laughs> not yet. But if they do, I think they'd get a lot for him. But again, too premature to judge as to where they will be and what will happen there. I still think there's a decent shot he signs before uh, the puck drops, just like Pollock did last year. Um, how many how many UFAs will they whiff on next year? Listen, I think a lot of next season is potentially tied to this year's trade deadline. We know that Lou likes to do his off-season shopping when the team is good, at least, at the deadline. He did it with Pajot. He did it with Palmieri. I'm not ruling out a scenario where the Islanders are good enough to be buyers and go out and make that JT Miller sign-and-trade type of deal. That is something that, you know, when, when, you're, when you're not a tier-A destination – Sometimes you got to go about it in, in alternative ways. And, and as BD knows, this is something that Garth did too, right? Garth had trouble attracting free agents. It's not necessarily a Garth thing or a Lou thing. It's, it's very much an Islanders thing. You know, he traded for Letty. He traded for Boychuk. You know, sometimes if you want to attract the better players, you got to go show them what it looks like first before they commit to resigning. BD, next one's for you. Says, uh, we, we kind of answered this, but we'll go through it anyway. Coach Jeff24 says, will Lou use any of the remaining cap to get a forward like a Milano type just to create competition in camp? Sort of answered that. And he says, seems like a bunch of teams that are over the cap. Maybe there's opportunities for like a Letty Boychuk last-minute grab back in 2014. You, see, you foresee anything like that, BD? Not particularly. Um, you know, that was just, uh, we had the cap room, and we also had assets to to deal then um i don't know if we can afford those assets and they have the assets to get a sand in they they do oh well yes but i i meant in terms of someone that's about the only one that i really feel that is that there's potential there but i i don't think you know that that was taking advantage of a situation and um i know that garth sat there and waiting for that situation he was prepared. He knew uh, he was working that a year ahead of time to make sure that he had the space and constantly looking, especially when you have limitations as they did. Now, could, could Lou take advantage of that? Right now, they don't have a whole lot of cap and they would have to move for anybody else that's, that's big money unless it's further down the line. So I don't think it's going to be like that uh, you know, Fair I would enough. love to be surprised and <clears throat> see something else happen. Okay. Uh, Billy Pollock uh, asking about Subban. Um, do you think there's a chance he gets brought in the camp? You had mentioned DeHaan, but. If he's willing to do a tryout, I mean, there's other teams that might will try him out as well. Um, you know, I don't know what to expect. I do think that he comes with a little bit of locker room baggage that I've always heard that comes along for the ride. And that's just not rumor or hearsay. That's you know, what I've been told Almost, that, uh, at least in the past. Wrapping, um, wrapping this one up here, Striker 0777. Uh, he suggests that maybe Chalowski is going to be the uh, third pair uh, defenseman. What do we know about DC, Phil? 
Phil's got uh, Phil's got kids in his room. He's telling him to go out. <laughs> I can read their lips. Go out. I'm doing a podcast right now. Uh, um, Phil, Phil, can you can you talk right now? Or are you are you caught up? I'm good. Chalowski. What do we know about what do we know about Chalowski? Or Chalowski, how do you want to say his name? I don't care. What do we know about Chalowski? The pick no, we, should we get excited about him? I wouldn't say to get excited about him. Right, he was picked one pick after Bellows, so he he could have been an Islander uh, back then. He, I mean, he he started out pretty pretty decent with Detroit, at least on the offensive side of the puck. He's a great skater. He's got good puck skills. His issue has always been just defensively. He's been an absolute mess. Um, they exposed him to Seattle. They didn't mind losing him. Seattle brought him in and had no space to put him because they had five solid NHL left-handed D between Giordano, Susie, Alexiak, Dunn. There was really no space for him. So he never really got an opportunity to catch on with them or Washington where he went for a cup of coffee on the waiver wire last year. But keep in mind, we, we brought in Doug Huda, who was on the Detroit coaching staff, who's obviously very familiar with this player. And he wouldn't be here if Doug Huda didn't think that there was some redeemable quality about this player. At the very least, you have a guy who, you know, it's, it's make or break for him at the age of 24, similar similar to Salo, right? They were born the same year. They're both going to be 24 years old when, when the season starts. You've got two guys who maybe they push each other, and maybe because of that backside pressure, um, whoever ends up taking the role does well with it because th- this is this is really it for the two. Well, of them. with Sebastian Ajo's drinking problem, I think it's important that we have a, a replacement for him. <laughs> I don't want to get Listen, into it. Would, you know, in a, in a perfect world, he comes in, he, he steals the spot out of camp. He's your quarterback on your power play too, right? They haven't have a, had a real good lefty lefty shot on on any of their power plays in quite some time. And, and he works as a good partner with Mayfield uh, in, in the way that Letty did. Um, that's that's your best case scenario with him. Um, he and Salo battle, and then the winner wins, and, and the winner is actually a viable fourteen to sixteen minute left defenseman. Yeah, yeah, for that sure. Be, I uh, mean, he your... certainly has more offensive upside uh, than any of the other two. Okay, uh, who in the Metro? And this is going to get us to the playoffs, and then we'll wrap this one up. Uh, uh, New York, uh, New York Clanders, uh, wondering who in the Metro got better, who got worse. BD quickly. Well, the, the not and I think a lot of them were trying to tread water. Um, the the what the danger is in the metro is they have a lot. Some of these teams have a lot of growing and youth players getting better. Um, but I don't think any particular team got so much better that we would be like, oh no. I really feel like you know Carolina held. Um, I think that the Rangers probably got worse. Um, but they have a young team uh, and up and coming, so it offsets itself. Um, so I, I, I'm not really concerned. Uh, maybe maybe the Devils a little bit, but and they're a team that's supposed to turn the corner soon. So I would say that might be the 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 more interesting one, especially if we're trying struggle to get into a playoff position. We might have them nipping at our heels. So that that might be the only one that I'm really concerned about. I think Caps, you know, depends on uh, on their the goalie uh, in the goalie change. But they brought in Darcy Kemper, Phil. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page on a lot of this with BD. I I thought the Caps got significantly worse. I think missing Backstrom for seemingly the entire year is going to be a pretty big deal to them. I don't think replacing him with Dylan Strom is going to be nearly enough. By the way, we and we saw that even a couple of years ago when we played Washington. 
in, in the, the bubble, in the bubble. Yep. And mm-hmm. Anders Lee knocked Backstrom out, and Backstrom's grandkids are going to feel that hit. Uh, when he knocked <laughs> them out, Washington was an absolute shell. I mean, I think, the Islander, I think the Islanders win that series regardless. But once yeah. Backstrom was out, it was just oh, we, we just dominated. They had nothing. The Caps were winning that game, by the way, when Lee took him out. The Caps went up 2-0 in that game early. But, yeah, I think Backstrom's a huge loss. I think Wilson being out till February is another huge loss for them. I mean, and let's not forget, Ovechkin, as good as Ovechkin is, he's, 37 he, years old, you never he's 37 know. years old, and he's also become a very uh, one-dimensional player as, he's getting, as he gets older. He's, he, can still hit, he can still hit you into another world, and he, he can, can still, still score, score 50 goals. He'll still score, yeah, he'll still score 35 or 40 or 45, who knows. But, I mean, I, I, I'm concerned about the Caps. Darcy Kemper can't stay healthy. They, they, they obviously signed him. Um, Columbus obviously got better. They brought, they bring in Johnny Gaudreau. They bring in, um, uh, they brought in, uh, actually, but, right. But they, but they, they, they got, they gave away Oliver Bjorkstrand. They just gave they him gave away. Bjorkstrand. Texier is out for the season. He's going to be spending the entire season at home in, in Europe which was just uh, breaking news yesterday. So, I mean, the the addition of Goudreau versus the subtraction of Texier and Bjorkstrand doesn't make that a Who is, who is your friend on Twitter who thinks the Metro is actually just like this fake division? Because I'm starting to think it is. Andy Francis. He is 100% spot on with this. The Metro, he calls the scam division, All in, at least in the Eastern Conference. The real teams are in the Atlantic, where it's the Leafs, the, the Lightning, the Florida, Cats, and the Bruins, although the Bruins are without several key pieces until at least December um, and then, you know, Detroit got better. Ottawa got better. I mean, that is going to be, I actually think the Metro is, you look at that Metro. Okay. So Carolina brought in Pacioretty, but immediately lost Pacioretty. They brought in Stasny who's going to be okay, but he's also 48 years old. Yeah. I mean, um, it's Stasny I mean, to replace Trocheck, which is, you know, a downgrade, not a huge downgrade. It's a downgrade though. It's um, a downgrade. But I mean, Nino, Carolina. Nino but Carolina with the, that's what I mean. That, that's what I mean. I mean, the fact they brought, they brought in Pacioretty. So they let some of those guys go. Yeah, and then they now they have no Pacioretty, and, and so is. There I like s- I like the Burns move, but but D'Angelo, the power play stunk down the stretch. He was huge for them offensively during the regular season, though, right? Yeah. Getting rid of Tony D. Nino was always a great player for them, um, and they. I mean, I still question Carolina's goaltending. Can Freddie stay healthy? Can Ronta stay healthy? Even if they stay healthy, will they be as good as they were? I don't. Listen, Carolina is not going to be as good in the regular season as they were last year. I don't think the Rangers will be as good in the regular season as last year. The best, I, I, that's the, the thing best with the Rangers thing too. Did, the best thing Drew did was the trade deadline. I was going to say, we hate, the, we hate the Rangers here, but yeah. the Rangers, Drury was brilliant at the trade deadline. He, he was. He literally pressed all the right buttons. He picked in yeah. just, he brought in the exact right pieces for that Ranger team to make the run they made. But none of those pieces stayed. None of them. Maybe I, Tyler Mott because no one knows where he is, but I mean, he's not consequential enough. And then essentially, what you, you look at the Rangers from their post-deadline team, which was, they were a good team. Not going to take anything away from that team. They were good, but you got rid of Strom, Kopp, Mott, Vetrano, Braun, and all you brought in was Trocek. And you're hoping that a lot of the young players get better. You're hoping that what Shesterkin did last year was remotely replicable, replicable which it probably isn't to the degree that he played and I don't think Chris Kreider is scoring 50, 52 goals again. You're going to see some regression with the Rangers. Pittsburgh is still Pittsburgh. I like their offseason moves. I know that they got older, but they got older with really, really good players. I like the Petrie addition to their team. I think he's really good. Um, I think Pittsburgh is still going to be a very strong regular season team. The Devils, the Devils are really a wild card because they had the league's worst goaltending last year. And if it's even, if they even get 
league average goaltending this year from those guys, which is, which is an if, and if their guys can stay healthy, um, the addition of Palat could really, really help them. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. Pittsburgh and New Jersey, I don't like the signings they made in the offseason. But, but both... for this year, I think it helps. Exactly. Palat, yeah. I, signing Palat for the six-year deal, don't like it. But, no. but It's he... objectively making them better now, though. Oh, it's not, it's absolutely, 100%. Palat yeah. makes a team better. He's still a good player. Uh, yeah. Pittsburgh obviously gave way too much term to their veterans, but... If they want to make a now. right, if they want to make a run at it right now, they certainly are better. Um, which brings us to the New York Islanders, and we had a few questions in uh, basically from the uh, from Twitter, which was, uh, "Hey guys, what are the odds the Islanders make the playoffs? Is this a playoff team?" And then um, we have Mark Legger, who is at Isles underscore Fanatic, said, "If the Isles fail to make the playoffs, will Lou be at the helm come draft day? Could Lou be out the door if the Islanders don't make the playoffs?" Let's first talk about the odds for them to make the playoffs. According to Vegas, the Islanders are minus 165 to make the playoffs, which means they are favored to make the playoffs. So if you want to bet on the Islanders to make the playoffs, you have to bet $165 to win 100 If you want to bet on the Islanders not to make the playoffs, it's plus 125, which means you could bet 100 to win 125 The middle on that, by the way, which is the true odds per Vegas um, odds makers, is 143 which basically turns into about a 59% chance. So according to the odds makers out there, they are suggesting that the Islanders will make the playoffs 59% of the time and not make the playoffs 41% of the time. BD, what side are you betting on? I think that Get your hands can... out of your mouth. I can't see it. I can't oh hear you. Oh, my there God. Go. Um, <laughs> the question, will they make the playoffs – I would say that they have over a sixty percent chance to make the playoffs. So you're, but you would okay. So then you would bet, you would you you think it's a good bet to bet on the Islanders to make the playoffs? Okay, good. Go ahead. Why? Very quickly. Well, it's, they have enough pieces. They have enough items. Um, they have enough. The core is still there. Um, I would expect some of those players to bounce back. And the thing that we haven't talked about is if we actually see Josh Bailey bounce back which is would be an interesting wrinkle to it especially when he used to be their first assist champion um so i do think that if you expect some of that in the defense to to show her up there's you know this is a team that just you know came relatively close in the end just wasn't enough um and that was in a year that everything went wrong um i think that enough things will run right Phil, that make, uh, uh, yeah, yeah that makes sense. I like to take I, BD. I, exactly. You know, in, in a year where everything went wrong, they got 84 points, finished above the NHL definition of 500 with three COVID shutdowns, with all the condensed schedule, and with a pretty shitty defense. So I like the blue line this year. We've got the second to best goaltending in the division, uh, without question. We've probably still got the best center depth in the division, one through four, uh, which is which is critically important. And do we need work on the wings? Yeah, but I think that they're going to be competitive enough where come trade deadline, I do think Lou is once again going to put his balls on the table, make a big trade. People might not like the cost of the trade. No one has ever liked the costs of a trade deadline trade. Uh, but I, I do think that they're going to do enough to get in. And what they do from that point, who the heck knows? 
Uh, from my perspective, I will just throw this out there. I, I think um, from a betting perspective, I, I like the not making playoff side. Um, I, I do not think the Islanders are 60% to make the playoffs. Um, I do think there's some things to hang your hat on. I mean, I think a veteran team coming off back-to-back deep runs in the playoffs certainly weighed it, certainly, um, you know, uh, took its toll on the team going into the season last year. And, you know, by November, the season was over. And it was so frustrating, obviously, for all of us. But that said, I, I don't think it's enough. Um, I, I don't think Kiefer Bellows is the answer. I don't think Josh Bailey has enough left. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned that we're going to still see so much of Sebastian Ajo on defense. Um, and I'm concerned there. Um, so if you factor all of that in, to me, the Islanders are probably 50-50 to make the playoffs this year. Um, and so if I was a betting man, and as you all know, I am a betting man, I would be betting on the Islanders to not make the playoffs at the current prices. Are you just basking alcohol to Ajo this year? I would, please, I would do it. <laughs> I mean, how we did, by the way, the fact of the matter is, the guy got drunk the night before, got caught, got caught driving at .03 at 10.30 in the morning. .03 is like, I'm, I'm going to go take Robitussin for my throat, and I'm at .03. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the question I have is, what was he doing to have warranted getting pulled over? Maybe point oh three for I think a guy. He said it was a checkpoint. There was a checkpoint. There oh, was who a does checkpoint. it? Wait, they oh, have okay. checkpoints at ten thirty in the morning. Interesting. Yeah, they, Here, I mean, in Toronto, they, they have, have very, very tough laws over there for, for drunk driving. So I knew that it wasn't. Uh, I didn't think it was ever when I saw the report that it was going to be flagrant. I, listen, I don't know what checkpoints are like in Sweden, but here, when you go to a checkpoint which they have sometimes, uh, you know, certain times of the year in Toronto, you roll down your window, the officer looks at you, shines his flashlight in your face. And if you look like you're competent, he just lets you go. They don't, they don't breathalyze everyone. Um, maybe in Sweden, they, they, they pull out the breathalyzer for everyone. Is that what you're telling me, BD? I don't know for sure. I just know that I remember seeing something where he said it was a checkpoint. Oh, wow. At least, but- unless my memory is faulty. By the way, it's rare that on this podcast, I am the negative one. Usually we rely on BD, and certainly BD is when it comes to the prospects. But when it comes to the playoffs, I just don't – I mean, the thing that scares me about this particular team is that we all were waiting for the team to make a run and make a run and make a run. And the Washington Capitals kind of collapsed at the end of the season. And even with that collapse, I mean, we went into Seattle. and we We got shut out by Seattle when our team was intact. Like, even when our team was intact, it wasn't very good at the end of the year. And I just think that the, the construction of the back end is going to make such a big difference. I really do. Yeah, and, and you're, not like, wor- you're not worried they're going to play Sebastian Ajo. I mean, I'd be much more confident if I knew, if I knew Salo was going to win this, the, the 3LD job. I'd be much more confident that this team makes the playoffs. I, I'm not worried about them having Ajo win the job and then ram him down our throat endlessly in the way that they did with Char and Green. Because... Ajo had stretches, and then there were stretches where he was really bad, and they just sent him to the press box for, for 20 to 30 games. Yeah. So I don't think Lane is just going to give a blank check to a player um, who's not playing well. And I think the same will apply, I hope, to, to veteran players too. I think if you're seeing, you know, how many games did Josh sit last year? Four? I think there was like a three or four-game stretch where they, they just health-bombed him. Yeah. Um, you know, I could see them doing it to Martin. I could see them doing it to Bailey. I mean that yeah, that's that's the big question, Mark, is what are we gonna see from Lambert? Um, I mean, we went into we, we went into the offseason and, and I do apologize for a long podcast, but we're probably this is probably gonna be the only one until the season pretty much starts. Um, but there would have to be some big news for us. Right, unless we have big news. But to me, yeah. B D and Phil, I we 
we went into the offseason last year kind of agreeing that this team was four moves away. Um, we were like, okay, well, they need a top six player. We need to get rid of Bailey. We need Martin kind of off the fourth line. And obviously we need Chara and Green gone, replaced by two players. And I look at it and I go, well, I mean, I guess if Salo replaces Green and, and Romanoff is replacing Chara, okay. But I'm just really concerned that the the – the strength of this hockey team has always been it comes at you in waves. We don't necessarily have a top first line. like We don't have a first line that can compete with the other first lines in the league, but we have four really, really good lines. And my, my, my worry and my concern is that Martin Torpedo is the fourth line. Kiefer isn't any good, and he's not going to help a line, and Bailey is going to torpedo whatever line he is on. And, and that's where I'm just concerned that we're just not going to be able to have sustained pressure um, from our forwards either. Um, so to me, like I said, I don't think they're, I, I'm not saying they're not going to make the playoffs. I just think the, the confidence that we are suddenly going to make the playoffs to me, it's, it's 50, 50 at best. Fair enough. I don't know. Um, well, unless you guys have anything else to add, I guess we can wrap it up. BD, any last I can, thoughts? I can promise to be more negative as the season begins. I can, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I can definitely guarantee it, <laughs> but just the way I look at it, look, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's all in how much this team, the fear has always been aging forward, slowing down an older team and starting to become mediocre. And if that continues, and this will answer the question that was, if will Lou be gone? Not a question. He will not run that track. Yep. Because if that continues, it will need to be a complete retooling of this team. Well, Maybe you not know a what? full rebuild, but definitely a huge retooling. You brought up mediocrity, and when I think of this podcast, yes, that's the word that comes to my mind. Uh, <laughs> and we are we are all here for a more negative BD Golf. If you want to follow BD on Twitter for his negative takes, he is at BD Golf. Phil is at Phil's Facts with a Z. He does a lot of these kind of uh, um, Twitter Twitter talks. So if you follow him, you can be a part of that. I am at Tuck on Sports, and we are the Top Shelf Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you subscribe, tell your friends about it, and we will see you when the season gets closer. Bye bye. 